Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all doing well today? Yeah, okay. Kind of halfway believable. I'm glad you are. Hope you've had a good week and hope this morning's kicking you off to a, an even better week ahead. Boy, folks, we really have an exciting summer ahead, an exciting opportunity to really advance the vision of, of the Heights Baptist Church. You know our, what we want to be, what we believe God has called us to do is to be a church that the 804 can't imagine being without. Now, there's a lot more to that statement than what I just said, but that's kind of the heart of it. Being that church that our our community would look and say, man, if the Heights wasn't here, what, what would this community be? What would we be without them? And we've taken that now the last couple of years, and this year we've made the goal that each one of us make that personal. That we realize the sign out front isn't going to make us that church. Uh, you know, our gathering alone isn't going to make us that church. It's when we each one individually go out into our community and we be the church. And we've presented two different ways. We've challenged everybody to kind of come along and do this. One is to do One Love 804 event this year. And the whole year, do One Love 804 event. And of course, last month in May, many of you, I mean, hundreds of you got that box checked off and there's still a lot of events to come in the year ahead. Another thing we've challenged everybody to do, I can't imagine a more simple, easy, no real-time commitment way of, of being that church is to use Bless Every Home. We introduced that to you back in December. Again, in February, it's this website. You go and you build your profile, and it kind of populates a map around your house and then kind of guides you in praying for your neighbors on a regular basis. And, uh, man, what... Folks, whatever else we do in our community, man, to think that we're calling out by prayer the people who live around us. I mean, if we're going to be a church the 804 can't imagine being without, we're no more impacting the 804 than when we get in our car and go home. I mean, we are spread out all over this area code when we pull into our driveway. So be the church on our street. And that can be as simple as praying. Man, I hope you've taken advantage of this. It takes so little time, so little effort to join your entire church family in doing that. We've adopted as a church about 7,500, over 7,500 homes. That's how many people are being prayed for. So I hope today, if you haven't uh, gotten this... As we finish here, go out to our information desk and uh, get this card. It gives you the instructions so that you can become a, a part of that on that. Now, what we're doing this summer, all that was just introducing now what we're doing this summer. Uh, we're going a step beyond praying for our neighbors and we're serving our neighbors. And uh, you got in your bulletin today, or if you didn't get a bulletin, you can get one on the way out this piece right here. Now let me pause right here and speak to our campus out at Midlothian. Uh, you're going to be getting this and be talking about this on June 23rd. Y'all are going to have a, a special meeting team huddle and uh, we'll be going over all this, but you get to hear me talk about it a few moments right now. But uh, you see there, it says start next door. And our, our goal is that you and I will do one thing each month. So in the month of June, we're going to serve our neighbor. In the month of July, we're going to connect relationally with our neighbor. And in the month of August, we're going to have fun 
with our neighbor. I mean, these aren't hard ways, are they? I mean, these are, these are pretty simple, easy things to do. Now, under each one of these things, it gives you ideas. That's just to get you thinking. Obviously, you can come up with your own idea. You can do this for one neighbor, uh, a, a different neighbor each time, or you can do one neighbor all the way through, or you can do multiple neighbors, but, but do something. Get out there and, and, and serve your neighbor. And if you can, you'll see there on the front says, hashtag start next door. If you, if you take a picture of, of what you're doing, uh, share it to social media and put that hashtag on it. And, and we can all share together what we're doing. It gives us opportunity to see everywhere we are, everything we're doing, and to be praying about that. Now, don't, don't take a picture of your neighbor and in a way they don't want to be taking a picture of that. That won't serve or bless, right? Uh, but, but if that's possible, uh, then, then do that. And uh, folks, you know, you multiply us uh, across two campuses, three different services here. Uh, how many neighbors we can impact this summer? Just showing the kindness of God, being the kindness and the goodness of God. Are y'all for this? Can, can we do this? You know, maybe, maybe there, you know, like one idea, you can wash your neighbor's car. Now, I couldn't do that for every. There's some neighbors, if I was in their driveway washing their car, that would be awkward. They might actually call the police, right? But, but then there's another neighbor, hey, I could just go over and I could, I could ask them or I could surprise them. And would anybody in here, do you have a neighbor you could wash their car? Nobody? Right here. We, we have one person. I'm going to help you do that. We have got a car wash kit for you right here. All right? So... Now, we really expect to see your hashtag because we, we gave you what you needed. And, uh, man, that, that little tub there is filled with everything to wash like a hundred cars, but, but it'll get used. We're, we're only requiring one car, though. You got to give us evidence or you owe us money for it. So, no, I'm, <laughs> so folks, I, man, I hope you'll do that. And, uh, man, we continue praying. We go out there, be that kindness and that goodness and, and look for that hashtag. I mean, it really does give us an opportunity to look and see what we're doing all over our community and be praying, man, God, would you take these acts and build bridges for the gospel? Amen. Would you take these acts and, and may we be an encouragement, may we be an encouragement in people's lives because people every single day all around us need to be encouraged, don't they? They, they need to have reason to believe. Let, let's, be, let's be that reason. Man, I'm so excited about this summer, I almost hate to get started on my sermon. I've got a horrible sermon title today. I don't say that very often, but my sermon title is, it's like one of those, you put it down and you think, why did I do that? How did I, my, my sermon title today is guard against falling in love. Isn't that awful? I, I promise I'm not against romantic love. I, I, I Listen, I've watched while you were sleeping and the thing about email, you got it, email. I've watched that more than once. I cried. Man, I love watching people fall in love as much as the next person. A good rom-com, romantic comedy for some of you, is a, is, is a good thing. And, and, and yet, I feel like today, I have to say, man, we need, to, we need to guard, right? We need to guard against falling in love. You know, I have, uh, I have married over 150 couples and, and, and done the premarital counseling that goes with that. I've done marital counseling with a lot of couples. And um, folks, I've heard a lot of stories about love. 
And I can very uh, authoritatively say, we fall in love. Why, why do we fall? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we? I mean, we don't usually want to fall. We don't, we don't want to fall down. We don't want to see the stock market fall. We, 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 don't want to, we don't want to tell the boss that sales are falling. We don't want to see attendance fall this summer, right? But all of a sudden, when it comes to love, man, we're ready just to fall flat on our face. And then we evaluate. What, what do I mean by that? You know, at some point in life, we're kind of coming along and, you know, we're thinking, hey, man, this is what I would like to experience, what I'd like to have in marriage. This is what I'd like to be as a mate. This is what I hope my mate would be. And maybe some of us, we even have kind of a standard. We, we have a, a list of things we're looking for. And then we fall in love. You know, and then, we, and then we go back and we start to evaluate. The only problem is, is when we're in love, when the, can y'all hear that? When, 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 when this is happening, our ability to evaluate just straighten the hole. I mean, it, it really does. And, and we start making excuses and we start making justifications where really what we should be doing is as we build a relationship before we're falling, We start asking, hey, does this person bring out in me the kind of person I need to be, want to be? Am I bringing that out in them? Are we building a relationship in in the Lord? Is Is this the kind of thing I imagined? And we're evaluating that. We're seeing that before we fall in love. I'll tell you a specific area I see this more times than I can count. Is when a believer falls in love with an unbeliever. And then we evaluate, because the Scripture tells us believer cannot marry an unbeliever. The the Scripture tells us we can't do that, but we're... (laughs) You know, so that's going on, and you know what we do? We we start to, well, well, I wonder what the Lord really meant by, well, I think it's pretty clear what the Lord meant. Well, and, and we, what did I say? We start to just, well, my case is different and this is different and, and, and pretty soon, well, this is why that doesn't uh, apply here. And I know we're supposed to never say never and always, but it's everything I've seen, it's always going to be a regret one day. It, it, it is always going to be a regret. Folks, it's a serious thing when you and I are trying to have a heart that belongs to the Lord, a heart that be- beats for the Lord, and then we tether that heart, we yoke that heart, we connect that heart with someone, with something that is going in another direction. That's what we're going to see Solomon, one of the greatest people for the Lord, do. Let's look and see how that ends up. Would you turn with me today to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 11. We are working our way through the Bible this year, and that has us today for the second week in 1 Kings. If you're looking for that, it's about a oh, over a quarter away, not quite a third of the way through your Bible. It's after Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the Samuels, and then you get to Kings. You get to Chronicles, you've gone too far. 
1 Kings chapter 11. My guess is that there's probably a good number of us that haven't spent a huge amount of time in 1st or 2nd Kings. But the passage last week, the passage today, historically speaking, are huge. I, I, I would imagine that's why our curriculum has us here. Last week, historically, we saw the building of the temple. That's a big moment in the history, in the life of Israel. Today, historically, the big moment is this great nation, this one great nation of Israel is going to become two. Not God's desire, not God's plan, but we're going to see why that happens. So this is what probably brings us today to chapter 11 is the historical significance. It's not my focus this morning, but it is the historical significance of this chapter in the history of, of Israel. So let's look at that now. First Kings chapter 11. Let me begin in verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Please note the reason. The, the, the reason that there's not to be this intermarriage is because they're turn your hearts to other gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. I love another translation says he clung He clung to these that he loved. He had, and this has got to be some kind of record, he had 700 wives. 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods. Instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been, Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. Isn't it neat to hear the scripture say that David followed the Lord completely? Because we, we look, David wasn't perfect, was he? David had faults and failures. He had some big faults and failures. Yet his life now, David's past, David's gone, but his life is still being described as faithfully following the Lord Verse uh, 7, on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemish, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for, for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant, please note that word covenant, since you've not kept my covenant, folks, in a covenant relationship, Marriage is an example of a covenant relationship. We both come to the covenant. You play a role, I play a role, and together we build this covenant. We each have a responsibility. God has made a covenant with his people. God has made a covenant with his kings, and they're not keeping the covenant. And you've disobeyed my decrees. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you are still alive. Because I made a promise to your dad. 
I made a promise that you would rule on the throne, that you would be over Israel. I will take the kingdom away from your son, and even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be the king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city." You know what I find kind of interesting about those last few lines, not going to be the focus of my message, but but what I find interesting about that is that there's this covenant, there's this promise God has made, and Solomon has broken everything about that covenant. And God's still working out how he keeps the promise. That's got to be encouraging to you and me, right? Right? Because you and I are in a covenant relationship with God. A covenant struck by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have a role and we have a responsibility in that covenant relationship. And we fail it, don't we? We fail it in little ways. We fail it in big ways. Sometimes we have a good stretch. And sometimes we have a stretch where we just fail it in more ways than we can even come up with. Isn't it good to know the character of our God while we are failing our side of the covenant? He's up there working on how he keeps his promise. The covenant demands justice. The covenant demands consequences. But he's still working on how he keeps his promises. Hey, when you've confessed your sin to the Lord and you've received his forgiveness, do you ever say, hey, God, I thank you that... What I just did, how I've lived this last week, you still keep your promise to me not to leave me, not to abandon me, to live in me, to give me your forgiveness, to, to pro- the promise of heaven. Isn't it good news to know God keeps his promises regardless of the mess I'm making? So, Solomon <laughs> loved many foreign women. Boy, that's an understatement. 700 wives, 300 concubines. What is... It's kind of hard to process, isn't it? 300 concubines. That's not a word we use. That's not something we have in our culture. What, what is a concubine? You know, maybe the... This isn't exactly it, but maybe an understanding would be like a common law wife. Uh, a, a common law husband. Nobody said, will you marry me? There wasn't a, a ring given. There, there's not a marriage license. There was never a ceremony. But they, they've actually lived together so long, we've kind of forgotten they never actually got married. They're kind of being seen as husband and wife. As a matter of fact, at some point, even the law will look at them as husband and wife. That's pretty close to what a concubine is. And so you could really say that, that Solomon has a thousand wives. That's crazy. I mean, this is the man who literally wrote the book. And when I say literally, I I actually mean literally because wrote the book's a metaphor, right? Well, oh man, they, they wrote the book on, they probably didn't. But in this case, yes, Solomon actually wrote the book on faithful, passionate, romantic love. It is one of the rated R books of the Bible. Everybody's going to ring Song of Solomon this afternoon, aren't we? Where where is that? (laughs) I have a new memory verse. (laughs) He actually wrote that. And not just a great book in the Bible, man, anywhere in the world. You won't find a clearer, more beautiful, more poetic presentation of what romantic love looks like. What God intends that it look like. Now, how can you have that with a thousand people? I mean, everything about it is designed for that one. And now look what Solomon has created this city. I mean, honestly, do you think he knows all their names? 
I, I, you know, I mean, he's got to be like standing around in the hallway sometimes. And, you know, this pretty young thing walks by and he looks over at one of his servants. Is she mine? Is that one of my wives? I mean, is that romantic? Is that faithful love? What's her name? Man, and you know what, folks? While the scripture records that's what he did, clearly, and you've heard me say this over and over, because the scripture records something does not mean the scripture is approving of something. It tells the truth. It shows very clearly even what our Bible heroes did. Now, in this particular passage, that's not hard to figure out because it just flat out says, boy, God was displeased with this. God didn't want him to have a thousand wives. God didn't want him to have two. God did not want him to marry foreign women, and yet it seems like that's all he was marrying was foreign women. You know, that word foreign is kind of tricky there, and I think in our context, in our day and age, it probably brings some ideas that, that are not being communicated in this passage. I've heard, I imagine some of you have heard, people actually use a passage like this, and there are others in the scripture, uh, to build some kind of, of, of racist or, or nationalistic nor, or ethnic ideas out of that. None of that is being addressed here. This isn't about the purity of a race or an ethnicity or it's our nation and no, no more. It's very clear what is being addressed, and that is one's relationship with the Lord. In our lingo, we would just simply be saying, don't marry an, an unbeliever. In that historical moment, the worship of Yahweh was very centered to Israel. There are people from other nations who do know, who do worship, who have come to faith in Yahweh, but at this time, it's still very central to Israel. And all the other nations are known... See, this isn't true in our day and age. In that day and age, they were known for the false god they worshipped. I mean, they were no, a nation would be known for that as much or more than anything else. So this isn't about race or ethnicity or nations. It's about interfaith marriage. And did you know that you and I have the same command on our lives that, that Solomon had on his? It says to us in the, in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked. Now, that passage isn't saying don't have friends that are, are not believers. No, of, of course we're going to have friends that are not Matter of fact, that's kind of what this is about, isn't it? I want to build friendships with unbelievers. I, I, I want to build those bridges. I want to, who am I going to share the gospel with if I'm not building any relationships with those who have not yet come to the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ? Of course we're going to build those friendships. But you know, every now and then maybe we're building a friendship. And boy, we've really got a desire to be a witness there. This has happened in my life. I don't know if it's happened in yours. But you're kind of going along in this relationship. And pretty soon you realize, oh, I think they're having more influence on me than I am them. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I think I'm starting to act more like they are than they're acting like me and and when i feel that conviction when i become sensitive to that reality what what do I, man i i need to back up right i need to back up i need to slow this down. doesn't mean i reject or i leave the relationship it absolutely does mean i i back up i slow down i kind of get myself on the right path i remind myself of what this relationship is about and i can kind of put a pause on that 
You can't do that in a relationship in which you're yoked. Yoked means you're tied contractually. You're you're tied together. Nine times out of ten, when the scripture is talking about yoked, it's talking about marriage. Obviously, if I look at my marriage and say, boy, my marriage isn't helping me grow in the Lord, I don't get to put a pause on that and back up. I, I don't get to put a time out. You know what's interesting about the permanency of marriage In 1 Corinthians 7, it actually says, if you marry an unbeliever, if you disobey me, if you marry against my will for you, once you say I do, you stay there. Well, that's crazy. That's a different teaching about the permanency of marriage. Even when you reject God's will for your life, you stay there. Now, it actually says, if the unbeliever leaves, you can let him go. But the believer cannot leave the the unbeliever. So, you know, maybe another example, and I think there's some passages, a a, a business partnership. You know, again, I can be in a partner with somebody. They got different values. I'm wanting to, you know, I want my business to represent the Lord. They don't want their business to represent the Lord. And we're going in two different directions. Yoking, we don't yoke a lot, do we? Yeah, the, the, the word yoke is it's a piece of wood. And it's a piece of wood that hold, would hold two oxen together. You yoked oxen. And, and if you did that smartly, you, you didn't put a, a slow oxen with a fast ox. You, you didn't put oxen that, that hated each other and were going in different directions because that broke the yoke. It, it, it made things more difficult. It made it harder for everybody. God says, don't yoke your heart to an unbeliever because they're going to be going one direction. You're, that, folks, when God says that, it's not because God hates unbelievers. God loves unbelievers. He actually tells you and me to go love them and lead them to the Lord, but not through yoking. Don't get yourself in a position where your heart is tied and now that heart, their heart is going in a way against God. Their heart is going away from God and, and you're tethered to it. You're yoked to it. You're tied to it. And guess what so often we end up doing? We go right along with them. And that's clearly, I mean, it, it, 11, chapter 11, verse 4 His wives turned his heart after other gods. He'd yoked. The yoke turned and moved away from the Lord and he followed it. And folks, that's not just a situation for Solomon, is it? No, that's for every single one of us. It always has been and it always will be. From 1 Kings chapter 11 on, and we're talking centuries now. For centuries, Israel is going to struggle with faithfulness. Another way of saying that is they are going to constantly be falling down in unfaithfulness to God. That is almost always because of idolatry. And that is almost always because of their interfaith marriages. They're just over and over and over going to yoke their heart to something that is, does not love their God. You know... It, 400, 500 years after that moment, Nehemiah, that's a book we'll get to in a little while. Nehemiah, a great leader in Israel, is confronting some of his Jewish brethren. They're, they're doing this same thing. And look what he says. This is four or five centuries after what we just read. Did not Solomon. I mean, we, can you think of that? He throws that out there because he anticipates the entire nation. We all know about the example that Solomon left us. 
We all, we all know what he did. The king of Israel, he sinned on account of such women, such marriages among the many nations. There was no king, no king like Solomon. And he was beloved by his God. Nevertheless, ne- nevertheless, and his heart turned. That makes me mad at Solomon. Didn't just last week he challenge all of us not to use this summer to take a break from God, but to make our heart belong even more wholly to God in, on Labor Day than it was on Memorial Day? Now, granted, there was quite a few years between chapter 8 and 11. I know we just looked at it last week. But man, he had a heart that beat greatly for God. And, and, and look what he's done. How, how does he do that? How how does Solomon, who made the wisdom of God world famous, ignore it? It it was Solomon. Solomon gave us 95% of the Proverbs. And in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he said, man, be vigilant. Be vigilant with your heart. Man, out of that comes comes your life. Man, out of our heart comes our passion, right? When we think of our heart, we think of our emotions. Out of my heart comes my passion, my zeal, my anger, my love, my happiness, my joy, my grief. Out of my heart comes all my energy. And it puts me on a course. It puts me on a direction. Guard your heart. How how does Solomon end up doing this? Solomon, who built the temple... The temple that the living God, Yahweh, the creator of all things, the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He built the temple that God worshipped, was worshipped in. And now he's, he's dotting the hillside of Jerusalem with all these false temples. Places to worship made up gods. Gods that are worshipped with sex and child sacrifice. See, we didn't, we don't read that when we read about Moloch and Chemish. But if you go and study who those gods are and how those people were worshipped, it was with sex and with child sacrifices. Interesting, isn't it? How those two things get linked together. How does, how does, how does Solomon become a part of that? Solomon, who met with God twice. And God made him successful at everything. Solomon was good at everything. Solomon had everything. And unlike you and me, you know, you and I, man, we have a good day. It's our faith that God gave us that good day, right? And, you know, I believe, I, I, I have faith. Every good thing comes from it. You know, for Solomon, that wasn't so much faith. That was objective, scientific fact. He knew what God said. He heard God. He watched God do it. And yet still he does this. How does something so devastating happen in this man's belief, his walk with the Lord? Simple. He did not guard his heart. And because he did not guard his heart, he did not obey the Lord. If you do not guard your heart, you will not obey the word of the Lord. You know, Solomon did not wake up one day and say, you know what, I just, this God thing, I don't know about it. I, 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 you know, he, he didn't help me yesterday. 
Or if he's so good and powerful, you know, then why did that happen? He he didn't wake up one day with some problem. He didn't wake up one day and say, I'm done with the the whole God thing. You, You know what he did? He just became comfortable. No more, no less. He just became comfortable with, with all these wives that he had and how they worshipped their God. I, I imagine at first he, oh gosh, that's not right. They shouldn't be doing that's not That's not okay. He knew, but he became comfortable with it in his presence. You know, when you become comfortable with something in your presence, it's only a amount of time before you're comfortable in your engagement with it. Boy, shouldn't that be just leading every one of us right now to be thinking, hey, what is TV? What is music? What are my friends? What is my loves? What are they making me comfortable with that breaks the heart of God? What are they making me comfortable with that I know very clearly God is not comfortable with that? He did not guard his heart. Obviously, you and I would leave this story and say, Whoop, I need to guard my heart. And that thought leads us to the, well, okay, so how do you do that? And that question kind of, don't you kind of like, have, okay, so this is the place in the message where the pastor is going to give us a list on how to, how to guard our heart, right? Yeah, this is a tricky thing. There, there is a list, sure. There's absolutely some things that you should do, that I should do, if I'm going to be exercising, if I'm going to be working at guarding my heart. You know, if I'm going to guard my heart, I've got to read the Bible every day. Because there's so many things pulling on my heart, right? I need the Scripture pointing those things out. I need the, the Scripture keeping my heart soft and warm to the Lord. Man, if I'm going to guard my heart, I need to praise God every day. I need to give God thanks every day. That's another way of saying I'm going to be reminded of how much God loves me. And I'm going to respond back to Him in love. Hey, if I'm going to guard my heart, man, I, gotta, I, I need to hang around people who are guarding their heart, right? I want to be around people who, who being faithful to God, having a heartbeat for God, I need to have those people in my life, especially if I'm building relationships with people whose heart don't beat with God. I've certainly got to have this in my life. So you got those three things, and I could add seven more because every good list has ten things on it, right? And we could have a, a perfect list. Ten things to guard our hearts. My only fear, my my only worry, my only concern is that I'm absolutely confident that Solomon did every single one of those things. There's just zero doubt in my life that Solomon did number... Solomon was the one communicating God's word. God was communicating it through him. He He was writing it. Solomon knew God's word. Solomon Solomon would have been doing any list that we came up with. And he was doing that. But somewhere in in small ways, he just, he became comfortable with things that just chipped away at the list. So see, you and I can be telling ourselves, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do, but... If we're not, you know, the reason I put constantly is here's the tricky thing. Do you know when you and I realize that we have, that we're in the process of completely compromising our heart for God? When it's done. When it's over. 
we're not real good at seeing that on the way. We see that we've given our heart away for God after it's already happened. We have to have some kind of exercise where weekly we're, we're just looking back and we're thinking about people and things and ideas. Now, the message today is focused on people, right? That, that, that yoking, those relationships that are, that are influencing us. But it's more than people, it's people, it's things, it's ideas that, that we become comfortable with, that our, our heart, our mind becomes interested in, and our heart starts to beat for those things, and it, it can happen very slowly, and we become very comfortable with it. Man, folks, I, 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 I challenge you to, you take three minutes today, three, two minutes, take two minutes 120 seconds, go somewhere all by yourself for 120 seconds and say, God, what have I become comfortable with that you're not? What have I allowed into my life that is, that is influencing and leading me in, in a wrong way? And if you will sit there for two minutes, you will hear the living God speak to you. You will hear the living God answer that. And then what happens next is just as much a reality. Oh, that wasn't the Lord. That was me. Well, that, no, that, 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 no, that, that can't be what he's, and and we'll, we'll start to explain away the voice of God. And folks, here's just a little clue. If you immediately begin to explain away why what you just heard is not the Lord, you're showing your heart's already beating more now for that than it is for God. Folks, do you, you realize what we're looking at today in this story is not an example of Solomon. Solomon did a bad thing. Solomon, you were told not to do that. Shame on you. Now go fix it. Folks, this isn't a story about doing a bad thing. This is a story about how Solomon became a worshiper of Satan. This is a story about how Solomon's life, the most beloved king of God, became a tool and an instrument for Satan and his purposes. And you're no better, you're no different. There's nothing about your life that you can say, well, I won't, that won't happen to me. Why? Why? What, what makes you so different from Solomon? And the result, division and destruction. Your kingdom, just like Solomon's kingdom, will be divided and it will be destroyed. Oh, I don't have a kingdom. No, neither do I. <laughs> I don't have a kingdom. There, there's no, nothing on a map that is going to say Randy's kingdom. Nowhere in history are they going to study Randy's kingdom. But we do. Now, I'm speaking metaphorically, right? We all have our little kingdom. It's my, my little world. Got my friends, my family, my hobbies, my loves, the, the things I've... It's my little world. And if I don't guard my heart, it'll be divided and destroyed. Because that's the only thing a divided heart can produce. Boy, we need to guard against what we're falling in love with, don't we? Let's pray. Father, you already know our hearts, you already know where we are, and you already know how quick we will be to defend our entertainment, our music, how quick we'll be to defend our friends, how quick we'll be to defend that person that we love so much. You already know what we love more than you.
Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. I thank you that you work at keeping your promises while I mock the promises I'm supposed to keep. Father, I pray we could go back to Solomon's encouragement from last week. And we realize just how important it is we use this summer to have a heart that beats greater for you than ever before. Lord, would you guide each one of us in what it means to to guard our hearts. Your son paid such a precious price so that my heart could beat eternally. So that my heart could beat eternally in heaven in the presence of God. I want to honor that. I want to respect that. God, I want to love you more than anyone, anything, any idea. I want to love you more than my freedoms. I want to love you more than my rights. I want to love you more than anything, Jesus. I need your help. It's in your name we ask for it. Amen.